You're listening to Extra Takes, hosted by Northland Church lead pastor, Dr. Joshua Laxton. Tune in each week as Pastor Josh reveals the rest of the story behind his sermons. We'll discuss how those who follow Christ can live out a biblical vision for the church in the world today. Well, hello, Northland family and friends. Welcome to another episode of Extra Takes. I am joined not only by my co-host, Matt Shiles, but we we finally let someone else in here. <laughs> and I mean, he had to pay. Like he really, you know, we... We asked, yeah, we asked for a large, large sum yes. for you to come, come in here. My, my time and my talent. I didn't add my treasure. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so I think maybe some of you, you got that accent and you guessed Pastor Gus, and you would be correct. Yes. So Gus has his accent. I got my accent. We don't know about Matt. He, you know, he, he's yeah. <laughs> you know, Pastor Gus says we all have an accent, but I'm not sure I agree with that. So. Well, somebody who's listening can tell me. These three guys are talking different. I think so. Exactly. We all have accents. I, I, you put us in a room. So, it. yeah. I'm excited and a little worried about today because who knows where we're going to go. But uh, it's, it's good to have you here, Pastor Gus. Yes. I'm very glad to join this and to really share what God has been teaching me mm. and teaching our church and for the kingdom's sake. Wonderful. Yeah. Before we kind of dive in, though, you – when – so – you actually started empowered. Yes. When when did do you remember when you started started empowered? I think it was January when we yeah. finished Christmas. Yeah. And you need to know this because I don't know when this lead pastor is coming. Right. And I had listened to a sermon by you during the interview in the Book of Acts. Yeah. So that kind of got me and our team. I said, I'm going to start acting. Really, you listened to a sermon from me. Yes. From the book and of I Acts. preached on the book, you know, a sermon from the book of Acts, and, yeah. and it just, yeah, you're yes. like, well, let's just start the book of Acts. Yeah, if he, if he comes, it will continue to be not How someday. cool. Well, because, yes. well, and that, and I didn't even know that story. I think Acts 16 or. Yeah, it was, well, yeah, yeah. Because yes. I had a church where we were at, we were going kind of through the book of Acts. Yes. And so, yes. yeah, that that's pretty cool because, you, you know, we didn't even have to continue to do the book of Acts. Yes. But last fall, you know, as we were, as we had we had a group of people Correct. thinking through all of the series we were going to do yes. in 2023, mm-hmm. and 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 this is was actually part of this idea of honoring the past without hindering the future, and actually showing some continuity. Yes. That we felt like one of the ways that we could show continuity between old and new was to actually do a series on Acts. Yes. Wonderful. So uh, what we're going to do today is um, we're going to do a few things. We are going to dig into um, the sermon. So this is um, March 4th and 5th weekend. We are in the Empowered series, and and this was from Pastor Gus's sermon about Stephen. But we're also going to um, spend some time um, thinking about acts as as a whole and I have some some fun questions that we can we can dig into um, so as a reminder the uh, the main point a credible witness is spirit controlled shares the true message and suffers for the truth um, this idea of of Stephen's story is is so much about witness um, which just helps, propel us into the entire book. But I'll start with you, Pastor Gus. As we 
as we consider Stephen's story, it is it's iconic and legendary, I would say. I, I don't think I'm overstating that. No, um, no. Especially for the, uh, the believer who, um, who knows their Bible and, um, and certainly knows the story of Stephen. Um, but what did you learn and what have you been learning afresh this time preparing for the sermon? Well, thank you, Matt. And I think when Pastor Josh reintroduced the Empowered series, and I was given the section to read and to preach from in chapter 6, there we started in verse 8, and all the way to chapter 7, and I saw, what the heck? He gave me a long passage here. And I, I started... That's how I roll, Gus. That's yes, how I roll. Yes. <laughs> so, well, I thought the guy would divide this, um, just Stephen alone and not his speech. But I was to talk about... But, you know, that's the longest sermon yes. in the Bible. Yes, it is. So. That was my. That was what was compelling to me. How mm. do I take a long sermon, the longest sermon in the Bible, mm. and condense it? to a 40-minute preaching. You know what's so funny, though, about, about, about this? Well, when you think about it, so if you clock how yeah. long it would take you yes. to just speak Stephen's sermon, yeah. I think it's like 15, you know, 10, 15 minutes, depending on how fast yes. you read. Yes, 12 for me, yes. And uh, my, my sermons are a little bit longer than 15 minutes. So, uh, <laughs> Well, maybe the, the context of this, Stephen was on rapid fire. Yeah. <laughs> but also think about who wrote this sermon. Yeah. Dr. Luke must have done his research, yeah. and he really condensed that. Because you've always yeah. said this about how Dr. Luke is writing this information in the book of Acts to help us to understand. So, Matt, to your question, yes, everyone I've been talking to, when you talk about Stephen, the first thing that we talk, oh, Stephen was the first person to die for the church. He was mm-hmm. the first martyr in the book of Acts there. So they'll mention that quickly. And I'll say, what else? And they will look at me and start to wonder. (laughs) Then I will tell them it's the longest sermon in the Bible. Mm. And then I started to think about three main things were given to me, that Stephen was seized, Stephen shared, and Stephen was stoned. Mm. So what did I uncover this time as I was going through the, the, the about this message. Well, one thing that was very clear is to be able to know the story of Stephen and know the story of Jesus, which is the gospel. Mm -hmm. Because there are the things that you're going to come back and talk to us about that. There were similarities. Mm -hmm. But here's another one I I connected. Because in the reintroduction, we've talked about the book of Acts was written so that what Jesus continued to do So the lesson I've been getting out of this is a continuation of the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And some people, and even our pastor has referred to this, the acts of the Holy Spirit. Mm. So I wanted to see what was the Holy Spirit doing and what did Jesus want this Holy Spirit that was present after he left was doing. Mm. And so you start to see that. Another one was in this chapter, we start to see the change from the church in Jerusalem, because Mm. that was where all the believers were, the day of Pentecost, and now you come to Mm. chapters 6 and 7, they are going to go outward, outside of Jerusalem. Mm. But there had to be a preparation. And the story of Stephen, even though you said it's legendary and iconic, but it was a change in global movement of the church. They were going to be on mission with God to nations and neighbors. How about that? Amen. There you go. That's great. Um, so you did just mention 
um, some parallels between Stephen and Jesus, yes. and especially how they were treated. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes, glad to say that. And the parallels also from which we draw the principles. So we see first that Stephen was the man earlier in chapter 6. It tells he was one of these seven men who was filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see that before Jesus came, the birth of Jesus with Mary, the filling of the Holy Spirit, and even Jesus coming here, going into the wilderness, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see Stephen, this man just introducing chapter 6, is filled with the Holy Spirit. But another thing that I learned that relates to the Holy Spirit this man knows, he knew scripture. Mm, you remember yeah. Jesus in the wilderness, he would always quote back to the Old Testament. Yeah. It is written, it is written. Mm. So Stephen was a man in the whole chapter seven, this longest message that he gave. He was quoting scripture. We always need to take the Bible as the center. Because mm. if Jesus did it, Stephen did it. We three amigos and all of you listening to us should always be quoting the scripture. But also Stephen, like Jesus, he faced opposition. Mm. You know, mm. the, the religious people of that day, as we have seen in the message, the religious people, they were lukewarm. They had no spiritual depth. They went to argue with Stephen. And we read in the scripture that uh, Stephen was so wise that what they could see that God gave him wisdom to speak by the Holy Spirit more than anybody else. Mm. Do you remember Jesus and these Pharisees and Sadducees? And they will see that Jesus was really well learned. He knew all of these things, even from, from Abraham. So we see that about Stephen. Mm. Because they could not find a way to argue against Stephen, mm. and like Jesus, they secretly persuaded false witnesses. Mm. So do you remember that? As we see Jesus, you know, when they could find no charge, at that midnight when they arrested him and the dawn of that morning and they were finding charges to bring against Jesus. Hmm. And they fought against that. And Stephen also had false witnesses, false charges uh, brought against him. And I'm sure they paid these people. Hmm. And then what happened to Jesus? You know, he was led to the garden to be crucified and he was buried and he rose again. Stephen, because he stood against these things, people were were reacting to him in a violent way. The Bible says people were closing their ears. They were yelling. Wow. You see the similarity with, with Jesus, yeah. even when people were doing that. So those are some of the things that we can glean and see the parallels and the principles we can pull from Stephen and Jesus. That's wonderful. Pastor Josh, what are you thinking about that? Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, I couldn't say, I could not have said it better myself. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So I do have uh, some questions about if, if we zoom out a bit and, and look at and think of the entire book of Acts, I have some questions. But before we get there, I do, Pastor Joshua, want to ask you a question. Um, when we think about this, you know, coming back to this series Empowered with Acts, you know, what do you want us as a church to get out of the study of the book of Acts? Yeah, for me, what my goal would be, as Acts is actually one of my favorite books mm. as a pastor, and the reason why is because it, it just charts the early church and how God used them in amazing and miraculous ways. Amen. And so when I look at the... 
the early church, it really is revolutionary. Mm-hmm. And I know that I have talked about the idea of revolution and that the definition of revolution, there's actually two of them that I actually use. And one is a drastic and far-reaching change in ways of thinking and behaving. And then the other one is a overthrow of a government by another one and instituting another power. Mm. And so when you look at what Jesus is doing through his death and resurrection, and that and Jesus is the gospel, the gospel is Jesus, and Jesus is the cosmic king who has come to make all things new through his death and resurrection, mm. that he's come to institute a gospel revolution. So a drastic and far-reaching change in ways of thinking and behaving and an overthrow of one power, one government, and an institution of another. And so what you see in the book of Acts is the revolutionary church. Mm. This is what it looks like for a for a, a people sold out to King Jesus. So a revolutionary church this is what it looks like to have a drastic and far-reaching change in ways of thinking and behaving. This is what it looks like to have an overthrow uh, of the government of, of man, the mm. government of flesh, government of sin, and the institution of the reign of God in the life of a people. Mm. And, you know, and, and one of the questions I think that you, 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 you have on, on this list is what's the most important pas- passage or story in the book of Acts? Now, if I stick with the revolutionary, you know, the, the revolutionary church, then, then for me, the key verse is actually going to be found in Acts 17, where there's a city official there in Thessalonica that hears that the, the church, you know that, that Christians have come to Thessalonica and it says these men who have turned the world upside down they've come here as well. Mm. And the reason why I would say that probably is I would say one of the key passages in the New Testament is because if you want to know if the church, if your church is being revolutionary, Mm. ask yourself after 40 or 50 years, because that's when it takes place. It takes place about 40 years, between 40 and 50 years after the birth of the church. Mm -hmm. You have the city official in Thessalonica. Think about where the church was birth it was in Jerusalem now yeah. now you know hundreds mm-hmm. uh, I, I can't remember hundreds maybe even a thousand plus miles away you got you got this this city Greek city Thessalonica where a city official is saying these men who have turned the world upside down so and that's where I like to say that really what the gospel revolution is doing through the enactment of his church, is turning the world right side up. Now, to the world, mm. when they look at what the church what the church does and really who the church is, they're going to feel as if their world is being turned upside down. Yeah. But in all reality, it's being turned right side up. Yeah. And so, so I mean, again, I mean, I, I could go to other key passages that are very, very important, but when, when I think about... Mm. You, you know, uh, God's revolution mm. and his revolutionary church, that is a key text that that really shows, all right, um, if, if, if you got your city a- after, you know, a couple of decades of ministry and they're, will, you know, they're saying that, then you know that the spirit of God is moving through your church. Hmm. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. 
You kind of stole my thunder. I was excited to ask you that question. Yeah, I'm sorry. I got a hit. I got a hit. Yeah, you know, I got a hit. The red I had. So well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like three of my questions. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Okay. But it's um yeah that that was well said. I mean, I when I was thinking about that question, what's the most important passage? It it feels a bit unfair because Acts is so massively important. Yeah, I mean, so, so well, I mean, so Gus, do yes. you, I mean, do you, and and, I, and here, after you answer, yes. I actually got, I actually got a couple other key texts that I'll, I'll give, I'll give you and and, and our family and friends, that. okay? Yes. But I, I want to hear from Gus on this. So what I like about that because we are some of those who think the key text there is Acts one eight, but that was for Jerusalem. But when you took me now to Thessalonica, mm. I am looking if these people have been turning the world right side up. There are other passages you can look at Mm -hmm. that it tells that, yes, the gospel of Jesus and Jesus, the gospel was making a difference. When he said the people who were were reading the scriptures are still in Acts 17, it said they were more noble. The people in Berea, Mm. they were noble. So when the the church is turned right side up, Mm. you will see the Bible, the scriptures at the center of it all. Because the Holy Spirit is only going to take the scripture and bring out the revolution. So that is one story I see there. But there's another story, another passage that I think is a very famous passage because of what we're doing at Northland these days. It was when Paul was now leaving Ephesus Mm. and he was really going to put those leaders in place, which is the job of the church here. You've heard us talk about cultivate. Mm. I think the church in Ephesus was another church that was really showing mm. the revolution that. And it talks to the leaders in those passages, what you say is, take care of your own soul. Mm. You know, guard yourself, you know, soul care. Mm. Take care of your own souls. And also as leaders, it goes on to say, you as the leaders, we want you to know, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, be shepherd of the church of God. Mm. So I see that as another key passage in the book of of, of um Acts because Paul was finishing strong with leaders in place. Do you have another one more than that, Pastor John? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I actually do. And, and these these are probably a lot. Oh, actually a lot. So, yeah. but one one of one of the interesting points that Luke will will make, he will actually start the the book and talk about the kingdom, and he'll end the book talking about the kingdom. So Acts one. So after his suffering, talking about Jesus' suffering, Jesus presented himself to to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Mm. All right. So so during the 40 days that Jesus is still going to be on planet Earth after his resurrection, he's teaching all of his disciples on the kingdom of God. Now listen to Acts 28, verse 30 and 31. This is Paul. He's in he's in Rome under house arrest. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, 
and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So once again, going back to the whole gospel revolution, Mm -hmm. that the kingdom of God has come in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and it is bringing a revolution, far drastic reaching and change, you know, a far drastic change in ways of thinking and behaving and overthrow of government and the institution of a new one. And so you have Acts 1, Luke saying, this is what Jesus taught on after he was resurrected. And then this is what Paul is talking on and teaching on in his two years of house arrest. And that's the bookend of Acts. And so that's why for me, it's so important that we remember that we're part of a kingdom. We're part of the kingdom of God. We are kingdom citizens. We have a king, and his name is King Jesus. So so those are two important verses. Another one is in Acts, Acts chapter 2, and it's in Peter's sermon. And so he's talking about how Jesus, this man, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Here, you have you have divine sovereignty and human responsibility seen in one verse. Mm-hmm. That God gave up Jesus, but he gave up Jesus knowing mm-hmm. that human responsibility would arrest Jesus and nail him to the cross. So you see God working in tandem mm-hmm. with just sinful humanity to accomplish his divine plans. Yeah. And so it's really neat. And so what you see really throughout the the book of Acts is how how this is working together, divine sovereignty and human responsibility. So that's that's a really cool verse. And then one last passage that I would say that actually has meaning for us today is in Acts chapter 15 and it's the Council of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So there there's this big church debate. Really, church fight. I mean, it got very heated <laughs> yeah. here at the at the council, and the debate was over what do you do with these pagan Gentiles that are coming to faith in Jesus? Do you make them become good Jews who worship King Jesus, or is just the worship of King Jesus and following him enough? And so again, there's this there there's this back and forth, and at the very end, you have this judgment that is made. And so the judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogue on every Sabbath. And so... Hmm. So what you know, really, what they're you know kind of saying is, all right. So t- tell them, tell them to avoid these things that uh, w- would lead them astray, mm-hmm. and and so. So they're not going to have to participate in in all of the things that the temple would would tell them that they would need to. They're not having to participate in all of the festivals, the festivities, mm-hmm. the the all of the other thing you know laws that they had. But you know, here's just some pointers that they need to stay from. But I love the fact we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. <laughs> and yeah. and so I think we always need to remember that. 
because if not careful, in every time and in every location, the longer a church is in existence, the more parameters they could put around themselves that actually prohibit people that are far from Jesus to come to know Jesus. Yeah. And yeah. so that, that that's a mission, you know, that's a missionary thing, that's a missional thing. And so that so basically at the very end of the day in Acts 15, keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah. And don't don't major on the minors. And I think that's a really important lesson in the book of Acts that I think we we Northland and any church would do that well, you know, do well to keep in mind. So Matt, I know we're going to get there, but there are also two passages because it's a theme in the life of Northland Church that I see in the book of Acts. Okay. So we see in chapter 13 that there were two key things that we have talked about. This is what we want to see our church become. We are already, but we want to do much more. Number one is the church is always to be sending out people. So if you're at Northland Church or you worship online, you will hear us say you have been sent. Mm -hmm. So in the book of Acts, that is a theme that Paul, mm. when they send the first missionaries out, they were sent. Yeah. In order to send people out, he says in the scripture, so they fasted and prayed and placed their hands on them and sent them off. Mm. I think it's a very important that when we venture into ministry, who is the authority over me that is sending me out? So mm. I love that passage throughout the book of Acts. So I always tell people, and I, some of you listening, you may want to do that. I will say, turn to Acts chapter 29. <laughs> and I think some people are familiar with me doing that. <laughs> and they will stand up in the church and say, there's no Acts 29. But we are the ones that are sent. Yes. Yeah. So today, the church that is following the book of Acts should be a sending church. And, and the question is, where you are listening to us today, mm. do you see your call to be sent? Mm. Amen. It is really fascinating to think about how many pivotal stories and passages there are. Um, certainly the Jerusalem Council was one that I thought of. Um, Acts 1.8, of course, Peter's first sermon, Paul's conversion, um, even the, the fact of Ananias and Sapphira that we talked about a couple weeks, I mean, uh, changing the trajectory of the church. Um, a couple weeks after that with Stephen, the church was then scattered. Mm -hmm. um, there's just, mm. I, I don't think we can overstate the importance that, um, that, this, that this book has for us. Um, so that leads me to our next question is, how should we, how should we read Acts? I mean, I think what's, what's really important for, uh, for us to recognize is that we shouldn't, there's different... Um, there's different genres in the Bible, and we shouldn't read um, every single book and every single passage the same way. So as we are approaching Acts, um, how, sh how should we read it? Because there is, there is historical narrative. There are biblical and theological implications. What are some, some tips that you um, lifelong learners and pastors can give us? Well, it's very clear that the book of Acts is historical. Mm. So you're not going to read everything in the book of Acts, and so we're going to go out there and do it. Mm. Yeah, so you got prescriptive and descriptive. So yes. descriptive is, is just outlining history. history. Yes. And then prescriptive is commands. And, mm. and, and, and Acts is more prescriptive or uh, uh, descriptive than it is prescriptive. 
And so that's where you're you're really trying to draw out principles. Yes. And and that's why you're looking at the church because you're trying to see what the Lord did through the early church. Mm-hmm. Now again, yeah. because what he did through the early church, I would say he wants to he wants to continue. He is he is setting the precedent. Correct. He's, he's yeah, and so so that yeah so continue your thought. But yeah, that that that's a great thing of descriptive and prescriptive. Yeah. And also, as you read about it, you should be able to take into the historical account some of the cultural things that were happening there. Mm. We've talked earlier about reading the book of Acts that you will see diversity was there. Mm. So right from the day of Pentecost, you look at the people who were there, but they were in one place. Mm -hmm. So as you read in this historical account, everybody's in Jerusalem, but they've come from somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then some of them were sent out. And even when we looked at a couple of weeks, we've looked at what's happening in Jerusalem church, but it's not happening out there. Mm. You have to be ready to understand it is the movement of of the Holy Spirit. So read the book of Acts and see movement and momentum that is picking up as God's Holy Spirit is being poured. Mm. So they go from Jerusalem, then you will quickly see, huh, the Gentiles and the Samaritans are included. Mm. So you start to see this value of diversity was going from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And that's the principle we can be looking at today in the church. That is your church preaching the word, teaching the word, just showing that historical uh, picture that was in the book of Acts that you can see it's today. Mm. And I think today with, with the global movement of the Spirit of God, Look around where you are and read the book of Acts and see the nations that are in your neighborhood. Mm. What else? That's wonderful. So I'm, I'm going to actually answer this in a different way that you guys did not see coming. All right. <laughs> okay. No, we haven't finished the question yet. This is, the implication. So, why I was nervous like about this. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, br- yes. Bring it on. So it. <laughs> a way to read Acts is understanding its Old Testament equivalent, which is Joshua. So that I did not see coming. Okay. Joshua. So, yeah. Uh huh. All right. So I'm going to give Talk you. Some, I'm going to give you some parallels. You yeah. ready? Yes. All right. So Joshua comes 40 years after the wilderness wanderings, uh-huh. after they had been freed from slavery in Egypt. Hmm. Acts is picking up 40 days after Jesus' resurrection and the ultimate deliverance from sin, all right? Joshua is conquering the promised land that God had promised them that they might be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Yes. Acts is now taking the good news of King Jesus to all the families of the earth. Yes. And as they are doing so... The Lord, through his people, is declaring the whole earth is mine and fulfilling the promise of Habakkuk that the whole earth would be filled with God's glory. And and so what you have with the book of Acts is the church now on, on, on mission and showing how in every place that they are going, they are showing the inbreaking kingdom of God and the nation streaming in. Yes. Okay, so that's what you know. So the promised land was was in the Old Testament was the place where you the nations needed to stream in. Yes, but now 
the, the promised land has become God's people where the temple dwells. Yes. And so now you've sent out the temple, these micro temples called churches, yeah. and the nations are streaming in. And if you think about also, you have the sin of Achan, and you cannot conquer, God cannot conquer a land, he cannot conquer a territory with his people who are acting just like the world. Mm, and so mm. you have Achan taken out, and then you have Ananias and Sapphira, they are taken out. Yes. Because God, he is claiming the whole earth is his, and he's using his people to preach the good news that the king has come to make all things new and that every nation is invited into his kingdom. And so so that that's where you see some parallels with mm-hmm. the book of Joshua and then you see you see Acts and we continue on this ministry yes. until and this is what's so so amazing Joshua yes he did not nor did Israel completely wipe out the inhabitants of the promised land, which is why they left a snare that actually eventually enslaved them once again. Mm. But we have a better Joshua as we continue on, that he will come back and he will completely wipe out all of the inhabitants and set his kingdom here on earth as it was in heaven, bringing about the new city. And so, so, and, and Joshua in Hebrew is Yeshua. And so, so again, you, you have this, you have, you have the, you, you have Acts bringing all of it together, showing what God started with his people in the conquest, now showing how Jesus is the better Joshua come to bring great and utter complete conquest to the world, where now the nations of the world will become the kingdom of our God. I think that's really empowered. I, I'm so, so glad we're having this. Yeah. Uh, see, you, I didn't see that coming, did you? No, I didn't see yeah. it coming. I, when you, I when, saw the Old Testament, but yeah, I never, no, definitely Joshua. didn't see Joshua. I thought yes. you were going to go to Genesis, yeah. but you surprised me. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. so, yeah, Joshua is the, you know, because, again, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a historical account yeah. of, of conquest. Right. Uh, and so, but, 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 yeah. but here's the other difference. So the conquest in Joshua sure. was through battles and killings. Yes. The conquest in the book of Acts mm-hmm. is over the the proclamation of the love of God and that he died for the sin of the world and that he has mm. brought about the the making of all things new. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and so that that's that is, you know, again, some parallels, but some d- differences within yes. that. Yes. Yeah. I think that's the value of having a comprehensive study of the Bible because we are always learning. Yeah, in the book of Acts, there's lots of quotations from the Old Testament. But to take a book like that Mm. and parallel it with Joshua, and then you start to draw all those implications. I also think, Pastor Josh, I heard you say, there's also the connection with the book of Revelation. Mm. Because the book of Acts and the church today, we do not complete that work until that final time in the in the study of the kingdom of God, mm. when God will make all things new. So I just got this now. So Joshua, Book of Acts, and Book of Revelation. Thank and, you and, when, and also, if you think about it, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, 
Joshua. Joshua. Uh, yeah. And, well, and then, well, then you look at, you know, Matthew, Mark, Matt, Luke, Luke, John, Mark. and then you got, you know, so after Facts. after explaining really the hit, because the Pentateuch is explaining the history, history of kind of Israel, and then it's picking up. And, and so now, you and, uh, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John explaining the history of Jesus through the Gospels. And then now, you, you know, life, you know, so. I mean, again, it's like so Moses. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, thank yeah. you for that. I didn't see it yeah. coming, and I receive it well. Yeah. That would change my idea of reading the Book of Acts. <laughs> yeah, and and that really answers you know this question that that we had was what do people miss about Acts? That's important for us to consider. <laughs> I I think we covered that. Um, pretty well. There, there's a lot of aspects of Acts. That... Well, there, there's a couple other. You, you know, if you're just doing a reading, you you will find that that Paul, particularly in the missionary journeys, he is going to contextualize his teaching and preaching ministry. Mm-hmm. So when he's engaging Jews, he he's going to he's going to have a kind of a different take. And then when he's engaging Gentiles, he's going he's going to approach it differently mm. in terms of engagement. And so I think that's one of the things that has led me to say, I think one of the hindrances of the church today, particularly in the U.S., is that we, we don't know how to speak pagan. And mm. b- b- because we, we do need to know the language of the host culture in which we're trying to engage. Well, that language has changed in the U.S. Mm. So what once was the language of our context 30 years ago has drastically changed. Mm-hmm. And so, again, you, you don't change the truth of Scripture, but you do change how you teach Scripture. I mean, again, pa- pa- Paul's going to do that depending on his audience. I think that's really, really important and that many people do miss that. And then also, I think uh, another element that people might miss if they if they have not really studied the book of Acts and are just kind of reading through it for the first you know, time, second time, maybe even third time, mm-hmm. is that there is, and there is debate in the mission world about this, but here's where I'm going to, here's where I fall on it. But I, I believe that Paul had a strategy when, when being on mission or these missionary journeys. And his strategy was to go to cities. And from the and, and then also it, from the cities, it, in, it it impacted the rural areas. So again, that's not it's not that you discount the rural areas, but it starts in the city and it spreads to the rural areas. But then also when he got to a city, if they had a synagogue, mm-hmm. he went there first. Mm-hmm. And and I, I would say a 21st century equivalent to going to synagogues uh, is going to dead churches. You know, so when you when you think about church revitalization or actually church planting, and and there there are differences, and so revitalization means like yeah, the church has something going. You know, in some sense, the church is somewhat alive, mm-hmm. but they've struggled, right? And so maybe they've have had years of decline, and they 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 just they need somebody to kind of help breathe new life into them, and yes. so but but they do need to change, but they just need to kind of be re, you know revitalized. The way I kind of talk about it is think about remodeling your house and you still living in your house. Yeah. Replanting is you got to get out of your house because an overhaul yeah. needs to happen. So you cannot live in your house yeah. during that remodel because it's so many issues with that house yes. that it's better just to get out and let the remodel happen, mm-hmm. which replanting is basically closing the church down 
taking that core group and then breathing new life of a whole completely different church with that group. So that's replanting. Yes. And so what, what I see, I see revitalization and replanting as a 21st century strategy to what, what Paul did in cities, mm-hmm. is that he would go to he would go to a group of people, go to a group of Jews or even uh, Greeks who had been converted to Judaism, who had the Hebrew scriptures, who were looking for a Messiah, mm-hmm. and he would preach Jesus. And then you would see these converts, and they would follow, you know, they would follow Paul, uh, and, and they would actually have to go and start the church because they would usually be ran out of the synagogues. And so you might even say, well, what were the synagogues? Well, remember, Judaism had one temple. Oh, yes. And so, and and you were supposed to flood to the temple at least one time a year, and that was through Passover, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so... But what, what happened during the intertestamental period is that now through the exile, you had Jews in what they called the diaspora. They were spread all throughout the empire. And so now you had synagogues, these basically satellite temples of the main temple. Mm. And so so that's where – so he would basically be going to these satellite temples mm-hmm. yeah, called synagogues. There preach the gospel – See, see who the spirit would draw, and that would actually become the church. And then, if there wasn't a synagogue, he would find. Well, where do the spiritual people gather? And so, in some cases, they were they were gathering in a van down by the river, minus the van. But <laughs> yeah. and then, in some cities, they they were gathering in the Areopagus to talk about philosophy and actually spiritual things. And so he would he would go there. And so, so you had this strategy implemented by the Apostle Paul. And so that's where I feel like, you know, some people would say, well, why would you strategize? Why would you have goals? Why would you have, why would you, you know, think through how you would, actually, I think the Apostle Paul did that. Yes. He strategized to actually Mm -hmm. impact cities. And so, uh, and then I would say, you know, he actually ultimately took his cue from the Lord because the Lord ultimately is a strategic God, which is why you have the promised land and where it is located because it was a strategic piece of property Mm -hmm. that was in between two of the major empires of the day, which actually consisted of the major trade route of the day. And so people going through the heart of the promised land would be, would be, would, would actually encounter a monotheist people who worshiped Yahweh, a not a local regional God, but a global God. Amen. So, I, I have a question yeah. because I fully agree with you, Paul being a strategy. Yep. So take the book of Acts and you think about Paul going to the places of worship and the places of uh, social things that people were yeah. doing to plant or to revitalize. How is that a strategy for us today in this 21st century? Is everybody going to come to the church? What has the church got to do with what I hear you teach and say and practice? The marketplace, mm. yeah, v- all spheres uh, of life. Well, yeah, well, and that, well, that's another thing. When I look at the Apostle Paul, is you know he was both a church planter and he was a tent maker, mm-hmm. and again, this is part of the strategy. Is in certain context, he used his marketplace abilities mm-hmm. to actually to actually impact and engage people, mm. and so I do believe that. In the 21st century, one of the biggest strategies mm-hmm. that we have to implement 
is training marketplace believers to engage their sphere of influence and using business as mission. And so using business as mission on an individual basis. So that, that's where we're going to mobilize us. We're going to equip men and women to be able to engage their vocation or using their vocational call, whether it's a plumber, teacher, even a stay-at-home mom, to engage those in their sphere. And then also getting involved in, in, in some cases, the creation of marketplace venues that actually will put us at the intersection of people who are far from Jesus that wouldn't necessarily come to a worship gathering, but they Will come to a marketplace of service, mm-hmm. and so like you know, right now I, I just read it on Facebook today that our Life Hope Childcare is opening up some spots, paid spots, to any family who needs it. Yeah. Well, that that is an element of a marketplace mm-hmm. idea. Is that yes, we have a we have a feature of Life Hope Childcare that we are ministering to single moms in need, but then we could also have a marketplace element where, hey, if you need childcare, because there's a lot of people that need childcare, constantly looking for childcare. Well, if they if they send their child here and they, they might they might not come to a corporate worship gathering, but they are in desperate need of having their child in in quality, affordable uh, uh, daycare. And so so now they have opportunity to rub shoulders and elbows with people who have been transformed by Jesus. So that's just a, a marketplace strategy. Wow. Yeah. Man, we know how to get into the book of Acts. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> yeah, one, wonderful. This has been a great conversation. I, I hope this... Um, this ignites for you a desire to to dig into Acts a little more. I hope this ignites for you a, a bigger picture of of what Acts is and what it really means for um, the entirety of the Bible and also for us today. So I think we will uh, leave it there for today. Thank you so much, Pastor Gus, for have for being here. You're welcome. And uh, thank you for Pastor Josh for uh, for digging in and um, and engaging us so well. Well, thank you so much, Matt. This was been this definitely has been fun and a joy. And Pastor Gus, thank you. I love I love you more than you'll ever know, and Thanks, grateful for you. And so Northland, same to you. Love you. We are truly grateful for you. Blessings and live sent. And love that closing. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Extra Takes. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you won't miss a single episode.